from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. It was a much more animated weekend than anyone expected. Hollywood handicappers started out buzzing about a close horse race between Crunchyroll's PG-13, Anime Adventure, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, and Universal's R-rated thriller Beast. But as the weekend approached, First Choice Tracking told us Dragon would kill Beast. However, Nobody imagined the slaughter we're talking about now. On today's box office autopsy, we'll check out those openings. And we'll look ahead, not just to next weekend, but to the coming month when reissues of past tentpoles will be hitting IMAX screens to take advantage of them being temporarily available, thanks to the studio's product drought. And later, our Oscar Outlook Spotlight will be on Universal's Best Picture Contender, She Said, which will world premiere at the New York Film Festival. Missing, of course, from today's theaters are the kind of event films that propelled the early and midsummer box office to pandemic-era heights and signaled that exhibition was alive and well. Actually... There still were some signs of that this weekend, thanks to Dragon overperforming. Dragon flew into 3,018 theaters, including 327 prime IMAX locations, with a fiery $20.1 million, of which $3.4 million came from IMAX per Comscore. That's about 17% of Dragon's weekend total. Media pundits began by predicting a 12 to $15 million launch, and the early exhibitor buzz was for just 8 to $11 million. The tip-off that Dragon would show super strength was that its top first-choice demo, under 25 men, were scoring in double digits with nine points over norm. If there's one audience that makes a difference today, it's definitely younger men, and they turned out full force for Dragon. And so did the critics, who are an enviable 92% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences are even higher at 94%, so word of mouth will be strong. Although this manga-based franchise goes back to 1986, the new episode is an original story, not a remake or a sequel, so its box office strength is really notable. 
Beast, which looked like it was heading for first place, is also an original. Besides having Universal's marketing muscle, Beast also has Idris Elba's star power, so no one thought at first that an indie Japanese anime would keep Beast from capturing the top spot. Beast, however, crept in from the Hollywood jungle with 11.6 million at 3,743 theaters, nicely beating exhibitors' predictions for 8 to 10 million. The early media buzz actually was closer with 12 to 15 million, but later on they slashed it to 10 million dollars best case. Beast reportedly cost a modest 36 million to produce. Late in the week, Beast's first choice tracking showed improvement for under 25 women, its top demo, but they were just three points over norm. Although Beast got started with an 80% score from critics on RT, that's now plunged to 69%. Thrillers can survive bad reviews, but they do need great word of mouth, and Beast's audience score is a blah 76%. Here's a scene to help you decide about going on safari at the multiplexes. That up there is the Nandi Pride. Yep. It's named after that magnificent matriarch in the middle there. Wow. Yep, and the males are Kuda and his brother Kawe. Kawe? Kawe. 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 How, and are we, uh, are we safe right here? Oh, you're safe, you're safe. They just finished off last night's kill. Okay, good. Yeah. That is insane. Did you go Okay, it's all right, He's just letting you know that he's there. See, the way it works with lions is the females do the hunting, the males protect the pride. Well, protect them from what? Usually from other lions. Any lion from outside the family comes into their territory. Kuda and Kawe will leap onto it start ripping it apart limb from limb or die trying. Looking ahead won't get us very far right now because this weekend's likely to look good compared to next weekend. August 26th will bring your choice of another Dracula-inspired horror film or a romantic dramedy in which a genie materializes ready to grant wishes. The horror thriller is Sony and Screen Gems PG-13 The Invitation, which is tracking best as a first choice for women under 25, the usual core audience for horror genre films. They're scoring four points above norm. Originally titled The Bride, it's about a young woman, Natalie Emmanuel, who swept off her feet romantically but then finds a gothic conspiracy is underway. If you've had more than enough horror to go with your popcorn, next weekend's other newcomer is the R-rated 3,000 Years of Longing, from United Artists releasing MGM and Film Nation. It's not on the tracking, which usually isn't a very good sign. Longings directed by George Miller, who did 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. It's the story of a scholar, Tilda Swinton, visiting Istanbul, where she encounters a genie, Idris Elba, who offers her three wishes, but the deal is he gets his freedom back in exchange. Here's a quick scene to find out if you want to see it or skip it. You mock me. 
three wishes, perfectly simple and theoretically safe. I was imprisoned by Solomon precisely because I cried out my heart's desire. Only by granting you yours may I earn my release. Yes, well, I appreciate the symmetry, but the thing is this. I cannot for the life of me summon up one eligible wish. And you're asking me for three. Is there any life in you? Are you even alive? You know, in some cultures, absence of desire means enlightenment. Then you are a pious fool. If I'm content, why tempt fate? And you're a coward. Don't goad me. There is no human, no angel, no djinn that wouldn't grasp at the chance to fulfill their deepest longings, and I am saddled with the one who claims to want nothing at all. Alethea Bini, you are a liar. You know, I am beginning to wish we'd never met. No, Don't say that! With no high-profile movies opening until mid-October, premium format theaters are available now that would normally be fully booked. IMAX is temporarily possible, so Crunchyroll used it this weekend for Dragon Ball Super Superheroes opening, getting a nice extra box office boost. IMAX is actually starting to look like a cinema revival chain, Last weekend, Universal and Amblin's 40th anniversary reissue of Steven Spielberg's E.T. the Extraterrestrial played in IMAX. Next weekend, IMAX gets Disney and Lucasfilm's re-release of 2016's Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. It's perfect timing since Andor, the Rogue prequel TV series, premieres on Disney Plus September 21st and is being promoted through the reissue. This look back at Rogue One will remind you which Star Wars episode it was. Ten degrees up. No, 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 no. No! Are you sure this is the way? They, they have landing trackers here. They have patrol squadrons. You've got to stay in the canyon. Keep it low. There's a 26% chance of failure. How much further? I, I don't know, I'm not sure. I never really come this way. We're close. We're close, I know that. Well, now there's a 35% chance of I failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. Now, put it down now! The wind! If you keep going, you'll be right over the shuttle depot! Watch out! Hey! Labor Day weekend won't bring any big new films to end the summer, but there will be two past blockbusters. Sony and Marvel's Spider-Man No Way Home will be back September 2nd in a turbocharged, the more fun version for fans celebrating 60 years of Spider-Man comic books and 20 years of Spidey films. This scene from No Way Home may very well put you in the mood for more of the same. Oh, look at this. This is a good one. Some suggest that Parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females. Stop. Come on. <laughs> yes, my spider lord. <laughs> Can we just, like, stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? 
now that everybody knows you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, Peter, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my god, Ned, he's my best friend. Oh, my Aunt May should really stop talking. What just happened? We tampered with the stability of space-time. Multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. you trying to live two different lives the longer you do it the more dangerous it becomes be careful what you wish for parker hello peter Also landing at IMAX and other cinemas September 2nd is Universal and Amblin's reissue of Steven Spielberg's Jaws, which in 1975 created the concept of summer blockbusters. September will end with a reissue bang, as Disney, 20th Century, and James Cameron's Avatar comes back to IMAX and other theaters. That should get moviegoers excited to see Cameron's sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, opening wide and at IMAX December 16th. Meanwhile, let's plug in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight to see what's happening on the awards front. Not every movie is perfect for every film festival, but she said is a natural to be world premiering at the 60th annual New York Film Festival. The Best Picture Oscar contender drama from Universal Annapurna and Plan B opens wide November 18th, so its media exposure at the New York Festival, which runs from September 30th through October 16th, should help it at the box office as well as for awards consideration. It's the perfect film to play in New York, the story of disgraced New York movie mogul Harvey Weinstein, no stranger to Oscar voters, 
whose arrest for sex crimes against women followed investigative reporting by New York Times reporters Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy. They're played by Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan in the film based on their best-selling book. She is a strong Oscar contender, not only because Academy members like movies about movie-making, like The Artist, Argo, and Mank, but because it's the kind of female-driven film that now resonates with the Academy's expanded, diverse, and far-flung members. This is a good time to be a female director born abroad, Germany in the case of she-director Maria Schrader, who's also an actress and screenwriter. Schrader's paid her directing dues over the years, including 2018's I'm Your Man, which she co-wrote. Also here with the right project at the right time is she-screenwriter Rebecca Lenkowitz, a native of England who wrote the Polish drama Ida, which won the Foreign Language Oscar in 2015. That wraps up today's podcast, but we'll be back next week on Box Office Autopsy to tell you how the invitation and 3,000 years of longing opened, and we'll keep our Oscar Outlook Spotlight focused on the latest awards activity. Please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for August 27th, 1964. It's hard to imagine Mary Poppins, which premiered in L.A. August 27th, 1964, with anyone but Julie Andrews as the magical English nanny. Had things gone as Andrews hoped, she'd have been cast instead in Jack Warner's production of My Fair Lady as Eliza Doolittle, the role she originated on Broadway opposite Rex Harrison, that made her a star. Andrews starred in MFL for two years after its March 1956 premiere at Broadway's Mark Hellinger Theatre. She then played Eliza opposite Harrison for 18 months, starting in April 1958 at London's Theatre Royal Drury Lane. Warner's MFL movie would have overlapped with Mary in production in the summer of 63. Walt Disney was so keen to cast Andrews that he offered to delay filming Mary until the following summer if Warner hired her for MFL. Warner, however, cast Harrison but passed on Andrews. Warner wanted a superstar movie actress, and Andrews wasn't one yet. He turned instead to Audrey Hepburn. By 1963, Hepburn had knockout movie credits like Funny Face in 1957, Breakfast at Tiffany's in 61, and Charade in 63. Hepburn, however, didn't sing. 
She took voice lessons and recorded the film's songs, but Warner quietly brought in Marnie Nixon to dub Hepburn's singing. Originally, Disney had Mary Martin, Betty Davis, and Angela Lansbury in mind for Poppins because of how coldly she was portrayed in P.L. Travers' books. He changed his mind after songwriters Robert and Richard Sherman saw Andrews on Ed Sullivan's TV show in January of 61, singing songs from her new Broadway musical Camelot. A month later, Disney saw the show and met backstage with Andrews and her then-husband, costume and set designer Tony Walton. Disney invited them to come to the studio and asked Walton to bring his portfolio. He made Walton a design consultant for the film. Disney offered Andrews the starring role, but she didn't say yes until the day after Warner Brothers announced Hepburn would play Eliza. MFL wound up grossing nearly $73 million domestically and was quickly forgotten. Mary, which co-starred Dick Van Dyke, did over $102 million domestically and remains a much-loved Disney classic. A sequel, Mary Poppins Returns, was produced in 2018 with Emily Blunt as Poppins. Andrews, whose next movie was Fox's blockbuster The Sound of Music, won the lead actress Oscar for Mary in 1965. Hepburn wasn't nominated. But earlier that award season, Andrews won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical and had the satisfaction of beating Hepburn in that race. In her tongue-in-cheek Globe's acceptance, Andrews thanked Jack Warner for being, as she put it, the one man who made it all possible. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove. <laughs>